If you have a copy of the scriptures, I invite you to look with me into the book of Joshua. This morning we're going to be looking at chapters 3 and 4, and I'm going to read an excerpt from chapters 3 and 4 because chapters 3 and 4 of Joshua tell you the same story twice. And so part of the reason why we send out the church-wide email in advance is so that you have the opportunity to prepare for worship, whether that's get to know the songs if you're not familiar with them, or whether you want to read in advance of the scripture passage we're going to talk about so that you can not hear this for the first time as we're about to read it here. Now, before I read, I would just want to remind you, uh, the Bible does not mean basic instructions before leaving earth. That's not what Bible means. So if you have grown up in a situation in which the Bible has been treated as the thing to study to get principles, so you put the principles into the algorithm to get the outcome that you want, that's not what the Bible is. The Bible is not the the you know what I'm talking about. This is what the Bible is. The Bible answers the four, excuse me, the four biggest questions that you can ask. Where did I come from? What happened? How is this fixed? And where are we going? Every one of us are thinking about those questions all the time. Something happens in your life and you're going to think about where did I come from? You observe wreckage in the world in your life. What in the world happened? then you better be thinking about how it can be fixed because if you don't know how it can be fixed, it could lead to all kinds of stuff. Frustration, depression, self-harm, all kinds of things. Even with the solution of how it can be fixed, it still at times can put us into places of despair, can it? And what about where are we going? Is there any type of resolution to all things? The Bible is saying yes, yes. The Bible tells you the answers to those questions and then leaves it for us by faith to try to figure it out. So over these next number of weeks, I need you to understand that we're going to seemingly be spending a lot of time in, man, what happened? And we're going to see, we're going to see that things are going to get pretty dark. But I need you to know that even in the midst of the darkness, even in the midst of digging into what has happened, I want you to know the light of the gospel shines ever brighter. I know we're in the Old Testament. I know we're in Joshua. But you need to remember, every story whispers his name. Do you remember the children's storybook Bible? The Jesus storybook Bible? Every story whispers his name. This story and this book are ultimately about Christ and what he has done and who he is. Listen to this as I read some excerpts from Joshua 3 and Joshua 4. Beloved, this is the word of God. Then Joshua rose early in the morning, and they set out from Shittim, they came, <clears throat> excuse me, and they came to the Jordan, he and all the people of Israel, and lodged there before they passed over. At the end of three days, the officers went through the camp and commanded the people, as soon as you see the ark of the covenant of the Lord your God being carried by the Levitical priests, then you shall set out from your place and follow it. Yet there shall be a distance between you and it, about 2,000 cubits in length. Do not come near it, in order that you may know the way you should go, for you have not passed this way before. Then Joshua said to the people, consecrate yourselves, for tomorrow the Lord will do wonders among you. And Joshua said to the people of Israel, come here and listen to the words of the Lord your God. Behold, the ark of the covenant of the Lord of all the earth is passing over before you into the Jordan. 
Now therefore take 12 men from the tribes of Israel, from each, man a tri- from each tribe a man. And when the soles of the feet of the priests bearing the ark of the Lord, the Lord of all the earth, shall rest in the waters of the Jordan, the waters of the Jordan shall be cut off from flowing. And the waters coming down from above shall stand in one heap. So when the people set out from their tents to pass over the Jordan with the priests bearing the ark of the covenant before the people, and as soon as those bearing the ark had come as far as the Jordan, and the feet of the priests bearing the ark were dipped in the brink of the water. Now, the Jordan overflows all its banks throughout this time of the year. Oh, excuse me, time of the harvest. The waters coming down from above stood and rose up in a heap very far away at Adam, the city that is beside Zarethan. And those flowing down toward the Sea of Araba, the Salt Sea, were completely cut off. And the people passed over opposite Jericho. Now the priests bearing the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord stood firmly on dry ground in the midst of the Jordan. And all Israel was passing over on dry ground until the nation finished passing over the Jordan. And Joshua said to them, pass on before the ark of the Lord your God into the midst of the Jordan and take up each of you a stone upon his shoulder according to the number of the tribes of the people of Israel that this may be a sign among you. When your children ask in time to come, what do these stones mean to you? Then you shall tell them that the waters of the Jordan were cut off before the ark of the covenant of the Lord. When it passed over the Jordan, the waters of the Jordan were cut off. So these stones shall be to the people of Israel a memorial forever. Now, if that seemed like an odd story, let's pray. Let's ask God to help us. Oh, Lord, we're here as your people. We know that we don't have to invite you here. You're present. We're the ones, Lord, that need help. So we ask, Holy Spirit, that you would enliven our minds, that you would cause us to be caught up into the story that we're continuing to learn together. Enable us to see ourselves in this story. Enable us especially to see you, Lord Jesus, as you are on the pages of Scripture and in the story of Scripture. So, Lord, we ask that you would have your way with us. If we're here and need to be encouraged, please encourage us. If we're here because, Lord, we're so proud and so self-centered and self-dependent, Lord, bring us low. And Lord, we ask in all things that you would keep us from ever thinking that we're to come to worship because we need to learn how to be better people. We need to learn how to be nicer. Help us to remember that we need you. And that knowledge of you and experiencing you would radically change us so that we would be more like you, so that our desire would be to decrease and our desire would be for you, Jesus, to be magnified in our lives. Holy Spirit, thank you for promising to act. Thank you for what you will do. We pray all these things in Jesus' name, amen. Do you ever remember traveling and hearing some little voices in the car? Are we there yet? Do you ever remember that? Do you ever remember the voices saying, not only are we there yet, but maybe almost? Are we almost there? Do you remember those? There was this sense when you would travel as a family that there was this sense of anticipation that was building, right? There was a sense of anticipation. 
I want you to understand that Joshua 3 and 4 are all about anticipation. So I want to ask you from the outset, what is it that you are anticipating in your life? Have you become so cynical and so jaded that the only thing that you anticipate in your life is that something bad is going to happen or that you're going to lose something? Is that the only thing that you anticipate in your life? I hope it isn't. I hope that you would at least think about what it could be like to anticipate God's blessing in your life and walking in God's blessing and knowing that God has promised to bless his people because God wants us to anticipate his presence and his blessing. And this chapter is, again, all about anticipation. As a matter of fact, this chapter has the height of expectation and the beginnings of the experience of fulfillment. Remember, God's promised his people a land, right? Well, just in case you didn't figure it out, they're crossing over into that land. They've been waiting for this. It's both the height of an expectation and the exhilaration of the beginning of experiencing fulfillment of that thing. So we got three stops on our journey today. The first is standing on the outside. The second is entering in. And the third is remembering. Got it? So we're thinking about anticipation. We're thinking about what are you anticipating? And we're going to have these three stops. Standing on the outside, entering in, and remembering. So let's go. Let's start with standing on the outside. So God's people are on the outside of the promised land as this chapter begins, chapter 3 and 4. We're on the outside of the promised land. And what has just happened is Moses has died and the people have mourned for him for 30 days. So here they are seeing the land, and here they are just getting over mourning over Moses and his death because he was a profoundly important figure. They loved Moses, even times though they wanted him dead. It's true. You can read about it. We talked about it some. It's a strange position Moses was in. To have people that love you so much, sometimes they want to kill you. And not only are God's people mourning Moses' death and getting over that, but on the other side, they're anticipating something to come. They know that something is about to happen. As a matter of fact, what builds this anticipation all the more, if you look in chapter 3 and what I read, is this. Joshua tells the people, in the midst of anticipation, in the midst of mourning and yet seeing the land, Joshua says, get back. 2,000 cubits, you know what that translates to? More than half a mile. Joshua wants the people to stand back from the Jordan. He doesn't want the people on top of the Jordan River. He wants them back over half a mile. You know why? Because he wants them to see that God is going to do something. So in the midst of this anticipation, it's not just that I got to get back. I got to step back to see what's happening. I need perspective to understand what is going to happen. He even tells them in the first part of chapter 3, consecrate yourselves. Make yourselves ready because God is going to do something wonderful for his people. God's people were supposed to anticipate God doing something wonderful. 
And in order to ready themselves for whatever God was going to do, they had to consecrate themselves. And friends, this is what consecration means. Consecration does not mean, um, I need to work harder at being better. Consecration means, I want to abandon all that I am so that God can have his way with me. Consecration is not about what you do or what you don't do. Consecration is far more about who do you want to be, the type of person that you want to be. Consecration is about being so that as God's people consecrate themselves, they are saying, we want to completely belong to God and remind ourselves of that over and over and over and over. We want to be a kind of people. So here they are standing on the outside. They're this mixed emotion of mourning and anticipation and standing back and dedicating their whole being to God. Again, and again, and again. Well, that leads us to think about entering in. What happens next is that Joshua tells the people, Here, here's how you know that it's go time. Y'all are standing back more than a half a mile from the Jordan River. Here's how you're going to know it's go time. It's time to go. When the ark moves, when the priests that are carrying the ark begin to move, it is go time. Now remember, remember what the ark symbolized. Remember what the ark represented. Remember that the ark was a symbol of God's presence. Do you get what Joshua is telling them? Stand back, consecrate yourselves, and when God starts moving, follow him. Kind of simple instructions, right? It's what we have to do every day by faith. We follow God's movement. Joshua would tell them, not only and remind them that it's when you see the ark move, you're to think about God. And you know what else in particular about God that the ark represents? It's the place where the law was, where the law was kept, and you also had the mercy seat. You remember this? That God had centered his people's lives on him. God had centered his people's lives on him. And God had so ordered their lives through the Ten Commandments and the sacrificial system that what that meant is that the rhythm of God's people's lives was repenting and believing. They had the Ten Commandments to say, this is the way that we should live in thought, word, and deed. And we had the sacrifices for when we don't. And they fit together. So that when God's people thought about the ark, they thought about God's presence. They thought about repenting and believing. They thought about the mercy seat is the place where God's mercy and God's justice kiss. It's the place where God is perfectly just with people and he is perfectly merciful. The ark is the place where we see with our own eyes the love of God flowing to us. Can you imagine being one of God's people? You're standing back a half a mile. Joshua says, this is the go time when you see the ark start to move. In other words, when you begin to see the love of God move, go. So what does the text tell us about entering in? 
Joshua says, behold, around verse 11 or 13 of chapter 3, behold, look, the ark is moving. God is on the move. And the people begin to take notice. And the priests are getting closer to the water. And the text tells us that as soon as the priest's feet touch the water, what happens? The water stop. And oh, by the way, did you notice that parenthetical statement in the verses that we read? This was the time of year in which the Jordan was a raging torrent. They were on one side of the Jordan and the land was on the other. And it was impossible for them to cross. As a matter of fact, this wasn't the time of year where the Jordan was just a little, uh, little stream trickling along. This was the time of the year in which the river flooded, in which it encapsulated trees on the banks that for a lot of the year was dry. This was the time of the year in which there was no way that, humanly speaking, they could cross the Jordan. And Joshua said, look, the ark is moving. And the priest's feet touch the bank of the river Jordan and it dries up. And Joshua says, all right, let's go. This was the moment. Think about this. God had made these promises to his people more than 400 years ago. They had been anticipating this and rebelling and anticipating this and rebelling. And here they were. The river had been dried up, upstream and down, so that God's people, because of his miraculous power, they could walk across on dry ground. And they did. Now, I want to pause here just for a little bit so that we can think about bringing this into our lives. I don't want to get too far down the road before you start thinking in your head, oh, well, that was a story back then and it doesn't have any relationship to my life now or has no application for my life now. Oh, no, it does. Do you ever feel like you're on the outside? In your own experience and whatever you have going on in your life right now, do you ever feel like you're on the outside? You're on the outside of trying to discern what God is doing. Maybe you feel like you're on the outside of God's love. Maybe you feel like, I don't know how in the world he is going to work this for good. I don't know all the ways that you might feel like you are outside and standing on the outside. But my hunch is, you probably feel that way. In my own life, I feel like I'm standing on the outside of knowing what's going to happen with my life. Knowing if I'm going to be around. I'm on the outside. I can't see. I don't know what 12 months from now looks like for me. And to be honest with you, you don't either. I'm not any different than you. There are days where I just may feel it more deeply, maybe. I don't want to be arrogant and presumptuous in even saying that. But you know what it's like to feel like you're on the outside? When, when are these troubles going to end? When, when, when can I get a win? <laughs> When, when, is, when am I going to get a break? Feel that? I want you to understand. I want you to understand that we all feel like we are at times standing on the outside. And God is always inviting us in. Always. 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 He's always inviting you in. 
through everything that you're experiencing and everything that I'm experiencing. Let me say two things here. One, let me tell you what God is anticipating. We're supposed to be anticipating God doing amazing things, but here's what God's anticipating. God's anticipating that he's gonna have followers. That's what he's anticipating. I mean, zoom out if you can, since we're taking larger chunks of scripture, zoom out and see this whole scenario play out. God brought his people out of slavery in Egypt. They had been there for 400 years. They were being oppressed. They couldn't get out of their oppression. They cried out to God and he heard them, right? Do you remember that part of the story? And he brought them out of Egypt. And he brought them out of Egypt so that they could worship him and center their lives on him. And he was telling them, I've got a land all the way back to Abraham, all the way back to Genesis 1 and 2. He's got a plan. He promised Abraham that he would have descendants. He promised that he would give a land. And the people said, we don't want to go. Remember that? God says, send the spies. Twelve go. Ten come back and say, "Uh uh-uh. Two say we need to go. God says, okay, this generation is not going to go in, but my people are going to get there. And then you come to this moment in which God's people are there, the ones that were little children when this whole 40 years of wandering started, and here they are as adults, and they're getting to experience walking into the promised land for the first time. Beloved, God is always inviting us in. This is showing us in amazing ways this whole idea of the reality that God is sovereign and that we're responsible, the whole thing. So if you've ever heard before, Well, if you've ever been in an environment where you felt like you had to pick one or the other, God's sovereignty or your responsibility, I'm sorry, because that's very problematic. And it has devastating effects in people's lives when you emphasize one over the other. Maybe you grew up in a situation in which, well, God's sovereign, my choices don't matter at all. Another problem. Maybe you grew up in a situation in which Christianity was presented to you in this way. God has done all these things that you need, and now everything's up to you, and the only thing that God will do is respond to whatever you do. That's a problem. When you go back and look at this story, you see that God is 100% sovereign, and his people are 100% responsible. And that's how this whole thing works. And if you want me to explain all the details of it, I can't. All I can tell you is they're both true. God's people had no chance of getting out of Egypt. No chance. And God's people didn't want to go in the promised land. And now here they are. There are consequences for their decisions and God's plan continues and continues and continues all the way to the point where um, who is bringing them into the promised land? How far back do they have to get to see it? What are they going to realize when they enter the promised land? Oh, we had no chance of crossing this Jordan. We had no chance of getting to the land had not God miraculously acted, told us to get back so we could see everything that he was doing to bring us into the land that a lot of us didn't even want to go into because we were scared. There you have it. 
God is anticipating followers. God is working into us by his grace to be a follower, to take responsibility for our decisions and actions and trust in his sovereignty, as difficult as that is. And here's the other thing. God is anticipating continually blessing his people. So beloved, if you feel like you're standing on the outside, oh, God is inviting you in. He's inviting you, he's always inviting you in to see your responsibility, to trust his hand, to see your responsibility and make decisions and trust his grace, to make decisions and be willing to absorb the consequences of those and know that his grace is greater. To know that you have to live in this world dealing with all kinds of messed up stuff, but his plan is going to win out. In your life, in our lives, and in his plan for the world, we can't stop it. Do you remember this from Revelation? There has never been anything that has been able to stop the gospel. No nation, no militia, no disease. God and his plan are going to prevail. And that means that God continually promises to bless his people. Do you remember Deuteronomy 8? Do you remember this that we looked at together a couple weeks ago? He's giving, them in, he's, he's giving them a land so they have all the supplies they need to build houses. He's giving them a land that they have all the resources they need to, to farm and develop their economy. He, he's giving them laws so that they understand how to be just toward one another, to the stranger, to the citizen. He has given them everything that they need so that they will flourish and that they will be an example to the whole world, inviting the world in in order for them to be changed and to live out a God-glorifying life. He's given them everything, everything. Even when they wandered 40 years, remember, their feet didn't swell and their shoes didn't wear out. God's provided everything for them. And beloved, you should anticipate God's blessing in your life. And that blessing has virtually nothing to do with how you feel. And most of the time it has less to do with uh, what you have. The blessing of God, when God blesses you, this is what it means to live into God's blessing and to anticipate his continual blessing. When you know the blessing of God, this is what it means. Lord, I belong to you, and you are with me. That's what it means to be blessed by God. It's to know that you belong to him and that he is with you and that he has given you. He has provided everything that you need for the situation that you are in. That he has even put you in the place where you are. And knowing his blessing means that he will always, always, always be working his goodness and grace into you, always. You see, he's inviting us in all the time. So if you feel like you're standing on the outside, join the club, and then by God's grace, enter in. Enter in. Here's our third stop, remembering. Just because we need to hammer this down. Beloved, God has always had a mission. His mission will continue. It will not fail. 
And when God's people were crossing the Jordan, did you notice what they were supposed to do? There was a representative of each of the 12 tribes. Did you notice what they were supposed to do as they crossed on dry ground? They had to pick up a rock and they had to put it on their shoulder and then they crossed the other side and then they set up little monuments. Set up a monument there because they were supposed to remember. They were supposed to remember something. So that if you go back and read chapter 3 and chapter 4, particularly at the end of chapter 4, but we read some of it already, in the years to come, let's put it this way. I think one guy I read put it this way. So when the grandkids are walking in Gilgal National Park and they say, hey, Dad, hey, Granddad, what are, the, what are these stones here for? Why are these stones here? We have opportunity to say, oh, son, oh, my daughter, let me tell you about God's plan. Let me tell you about God's mission. Let me tell you about how God brought us across this Jordan River that was a raging torrent. Let me tell you how he overcame our rebellion. Let me tell you how he brought us out of Egypt. Let me tell you how he gave us all these laws to live by and the grace to accomplish them. Let me tell you how amazing our God is because he has done everything that we need. You see, what we're supposed to remember is that God has been unfolding his plan since Genesis 1 and 2. It hasn't changed. He still desires for his glory to fill the earth. Did you notice the passage that we read when it mentions uh, God and what he did, that it is the God of all the earth? As God's people, they're supposed to be declaring, our God is the God of all the earth. He has a plan for the whole world. And he's doing something. And oh, by the way, if that doesn't make sense to you, when they crossed on dry ground, it's the same concept that's used in Genesis 1 when God divided the sea from the land and caused there to be dry land to form. Same word. And when Moses led the people through the Red Sea on dry ground, what God is saying is, I'm the God of creation and recreation, and what I've set up from the beginning, I will do, so that all the world may know that I am the God of all the earth. That's kind of exciting, isn't it? Do you feel like you have something to anticipate? I hope that you have a sense of, well, if God is so committed to this mission, if he's going to continue to do this, I can breathe. And it means that I can go into the hard things that I have to endure because I know he's going to be there. And I know that knowing his blessing doesn't mean that I feel great. And his blessing doesn't necessarily mean at all about the things that I have. I know this blessing means that I belong to him and I'm part of his mission and he's put me where he wants me to be. And he's providing what I need and he's promising that his grace will always be there. You see, all of this culminates in the Lord Jesus. Did you notice in the text that at the end, when God's people crossed the Jordan, did you notice that there was a date attached to it? 
the first month and the 10th day, I believe. Does that ring a bell? 40 years before, that day and that month was set aside to celebrate Passover. God brings them into the land and then says, celebrate all that I have done from Egypt even to this day. Do you see, my friends? Those rocks that were there to be a memorial of God's faithfulness, a memorial to his power, a memorial to his mission, all leads us to this idea that we see in the New Testament that Jesus is the cornerstone. The promises that God makes to his people, guess what? In Jesus, all the promises of God, as the Bible says, are yes and amen, or true. It means that this Passover meal that they're celebrating is all leading us to the ultimate sacrifice that would be made. His name is Jesus. It means that this mission that God has for the world to understand his goodness, to understand his grace, to recognize his power, is to remember that Jesus is the mercy seat, that he is the presence of God incarnate on the move to pursue his people and to bring us home. It means that the Holy Spirit was sent to build anticipation within our lives. You want to know how the Holy Spirit is working in your life? Well, here's one way out of a thousand. The Holy Spirit works to build anticipation in us. If you take just a little bit of time, you don't have to do this right now, but if you want to, that's fine. Take just a little bit of time and think about, do you see any place where God is working? If you look around the room, you say, oh, God's working in this person's life. He's working in that person's life. He's working here in the world. He's working there in the world. And you know what? He's working right here too. And this is what the Holy Spirit is using in part to work into us anticipation of what is to come. Come. 